the Yak Legion Podcast, and the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast are sponsored by the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail. You can reach them at BuckeyeKayakFishingTrail.com. Strictly Sail in Blue Ash, Ohio. Reach out to Brian for all your Hobie needs at 513-984-1907. And American Tackle Company. You can find them at americantackle.us. Howdy, y'all. You're listening to the Yak Legion Podcast. And tonight, it's me and Christian. We're talking to Donald Dim of Floating Feathers Kayak Fly Fishing School. That's a mouthful. So uh, excited to talk to this guy. Uh, I've been trying to get more fly fishermen on here and kayakers and fly fishing kayakers. So uh, we have the man himself from Alabama. How's it going, Donald? Pretty good. How are you guys doing, Zach? Christian, you guys going to have a good night? Yeah, doing pretty yeah, good. Got supper in me. The kids are off the bed. We're ready to do some podcasting, man. All right. <laughs> so, man, let's let's get started. Why don't you tell us about your business here? I found you on Facebook. Um, no, I found you on Instagram first, and then followed you on Facebook. And you know, I kind of saw what you were doing, saw the pictures you were posting. And I found you real interesting. I was like, man, this guy does a school to teach people how to fly fish off a kayak, man. This guy's perfect for Yak Legions. And uh, oh, good. so tell us a little bit about your uh, your business here. Um, I started this school um, kind of you kind of touched on it. There's not a lot of people that are that are doing anything or teaching anybody um, how to fly fish out of kayaks. You can go to learn how to fly fish somewhere. You can go to learn how to kayak somewhere, but there was there's not a lot of articles and not a lot of videos. There's there's I couldn't find anybody that if I was interested in doing both to go to a place um, that could teach me to do both. Um, so I kind of started that, started the, the school with that in mind. And I'm a little bit different than say a normal fly fishing school where you don't come to me. I can travel to you um, within, you know, within reason. I currently, I live in South Alabama, so I can't drive, you know, to like Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine. That's a little bit too far. But, um, you know, if you're on vacation or um, if you're in, in the southeast area, if I'm traveling somewhere and I know that you want a class, um, I can teach you how to fly fish. I can teach you how to kayak um, and then kind of teach you the headache, if you will, to avoid when fly fishing from kayaks. Um, and that is a it's a little different than normal the normal fishing, you know, the conventional gear, you've got, you got a whole fly line to worry about. Um, so that's, that's kind of me. I, um, I'm instruct, you know, I can instruct basic fly fishing stuff, basic kayaking stuff, or, uh, kind of combine the two and get you out in the water, put you in a kayak, fly right in your hand and hopefully catch a fish. Oh, wow, man. I, I know that they make several models of kayaks just, specifically for fly fishermen like the kusa um not the, no, the jackson mayfly yep the jackson mayfly right. is probably one of the best ones for fly fishing yeah because it's and got this open deck where you're peeling all that line off that off that reel it's got plenty of space for your stuff it does and it also has uh built-in rod tip protectors where you can uh you know put the rod uh, that you know the most fragile part of the rod on a fly rod is that that last section you know so it's got a rod tip protector um, oh, really? and then just behind the seat it's actually got a place for the reels to kind of sit down and and lock in the entire rod so they don't fall out they don't you know you don't knock them out by accident um, it's a, and it's a good kayak um, I had a mayfly for a while um, really liked it what kayaks are you running in your fleet right now and how many kayaks uh, have- in your fleet I have Crescent Kayaks. Uh, Crescent Kayaks is from uh, Georgia. Uh, they've been around since, I think, 2001, I think, is their first year they started. Um, they started as, a, as recreational kayaks. They, they did a lot of stuff for um, resorts and uh, things like that where you, know, you, could, you could go like the Bahamas or whatever, run a kayak. That was probably one of the kayaks you had to rent. Um, a couple years ago, they started getting into the fishing kayak market. Um, and I, I kind of lucked into getting to try one. Um, and for me, the, the Crescent Kayak Light Tackle um, just brought back the joy of paddling. 
Um, and I really like to paddle. Um, and I, I like this kayak so much that I actually traded my Hobie Outback, uh, <laughs> sold it so I could get uh, one of these and a couple of the other kayaks for the school. Um, and if you really enjoy paddling, uh, this the, the, the Crescent Kayak Light Tackle is a fantastic boat. Um, for fly fishing, it does have a super wide open deck. Um, you don't have a whole lot of snags. It's very similar to a, um, like a new canoe, a mayfly, um, I, I, you know, those type of kayaks where the cockpit is just wide open. Um, the only thing you really have to worry about are the foot pegs. And, um, it's, it's light, it's maneuverable. Um, so I use that as an instructor. Um, and then for my students, um, right now I have, um, the ultralight from Crescent Kayaks, which is just basically the light tackles little brother. Um, it's a 10 foot two kayak, 30 inches wide. It holds, uh, about 350 pounds, I think it's rated for, and it only weighs 50 pounds. So for kids and lady anglers, it's really easy for them to, you know, um, to be taught on, but it's also easier for them to handle than a big, giant, heavy kayak like a Mayfly or a Hobie or something like that. Okay. Oh, wow, man. So what's the biggest group that you take out at a time? Do you uh, the biggest group I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, sorry. Do you work with smaller groups or do you, you know, bring a lot of people out there? Uh, right now, um, I've got four kayaks for students that are all the same, but I have a total of nine vessels I can take people out in, including mine as the instructor. So I can take a group as big as nine at the moment. Um, at the same time, if we're fly fishing, though, I really try to limit that to four people in a kayak. Um, any more than that, um, any more than four people fly fishing out of a kayak just becomes a huge, um, I don't want to say mess. It becomes a, a big circus, <laughs> and I am not a ringmaster. <laughs> yeah, I know that you must have a lot of patience to teach kids out there on a kayak and trying to fly fish. Uh, do you have a lot of younger students, or, or do the age kind of vary between adults, young adults, and older adults? Most of the students that are learning to kayak are kids, um, and about 50% of the students I've taught so far to fly fish have been kids. Well, um, and that's, well. I mean, kids, you know, you know, 12 and under. I, I don't, I mean, teenagers, I just lumped them in with adults. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you guys located? Uh, currently, uh, we're actually just, just, getting ready to, to, to close on a home next month um, in Foley, Alabama. So uh, as, as they like to say down here, that's L.A., lower Alabama. <laughs> uh, it, it gives us an opportunity to fish freshwater and saltwater. So um, I had the opportunity to move and thought, well, if I can catch a redfish and a bass in the same day, that's, that's a pretty good day. So I'm going to take a shot. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, do you do, do you let your clients pick where they want to learn to fly or where they want to learn to fly fish with? Like, do you let them choose either saltwater or freshwater? Do you let them like choose what species or how, or how's that? I, uh, it, it, yes and no. I, I'll, I'll give them a few options if I'm going to meet them someplace. Um, and if it's just one-on-one, -on -one, I can meet them almost anywhere that they want to uh, that they have in mind, if they have a private pond, if they have a favorite fishing spot that they like to go to. Uh -huh. um, if I'm if I'm teaching a class of you know two or three or four people, I'm going to try to get someplace that doesn't have a lot of boat traffic. Uh, yeah. So you know a lagoon, a small pond, um, you know somewhere away from all the boat traffic to keep safety. Um, you know, students, the safety is the number one concern. I mean, I. Yeah. I I, of course, want them to learn something, but I want them to learn something in a safe environment, you know? So is it more about instruction, or do you do guides, too? It is more about instruction. Um, my goal, you know, for these students is, when, when they get done with the class, is to, to understand and um, how to kayak, you know, how to paddle, how to churn, how to get back in the boat. Um, uh, and, and we'll, I kind of get into three different ways to re-enter the boat, uh, re-enter the kayak if they fall out. So um, 
when they get done with the kayaking portion, they're going to understand how to get into the boat from a sitting position, from a standing position, from inside the water, uh, with a friend's help uh, from inside the water, or what they call buddy rescue. Um, and then also how to paddle. You know, it's some basic paddle strokes. They're not going to be competing in a paddle competition, but they will understand the basic forward stroke and leading strokes and, um, you know, how to turn the kayak and, and how to paddle backwards and maneuver the boat, um, how to pull up to a dock and things like that. When we get done with the fly fishing aspect, the goal for my students is to be able to, to put a fly within, you know, 20 feet of their target area. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about super accuracy because that's going to come in time. Um, I just want to be able to get them to understand the, the, the engineering, the theory, and the practice behind a fly cast. If we catch a fish, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're more worried about instruction than catching fish. That's awesome. Um, definitely sounds like you're focused on safety as well. And yeah. uh, that's something I stress a lot on the podcast is wear the life jackets and love the kids out there, the life jackets and definitely learning how to get in and out of your kayak could be a lifesaver. So, uh, um, yeah, for sure, for sure. <clears throat> so say you have somebody new coming into this, um, they're getting into fly, you know, maybe they're a fly fisherman or getting into kayak fishing or they're a kayaker getting into fly fishing. Um, what's just a few pieces of advice you would give somebody, uh, maybe looking into doing this? Um, different advice for each situation. Um, if you're a, a kayak fisherman or, you know, that's wanting to get into fly fishing or trying to, trying to transition over to fly fishing. Um, the biggest thing you have to keep in mind, the difference between conventional fishing and fly fishing from a kayak, is that you cannot cast a fly rod, a fly line, a fly as far as you can a lure um, or, you know, a, a plug, a, a whatever. Um, even, you know, it's just not meant to do that. Um, you can cast a, a, a heavier weight, you know, if you put a three-quarter ounce jig on there, you're going to toss that thing, you know, a couple hundred yards, you know, with, yeah. with, with ease, you know, and you're going to get it pretty well. Um, you know, those people that, that practice skipping the things underneath docks and all the other stuff, not that you can't do that with a fly rod, but that's not going to come, you know, your fourth or fifth trip out. Um, so the biggest thing is to remember is that the, the fly fishing is a different method to obtain the same goal. Um, remember in, in conventional fishing, you don't have anything at your feet, right? You just cast the lure, you click the bail if you've got a spinning reel, or you know, you just start reeling in if you've got the bait casting thing. Um, in fly fishing, when you throw your line out and you start ripping it back by hand, you've got this big pile of fly line at your feet or in your lap or half in the water, half out of the kayak. Um, so you really have to be able to have a little bit more coordination, uh, hand-eye coordination, um, and being able to pay attention where your, what your left hand is doing versus your right hand. <laughs> yeah. So I know I had one question. Um, mm -hmm. So I know when you're – a lot of the time when anglers are uh, – like at least bass anglers or conventional anglers are looking at rods and stuff like that for kayak fishing, a lot of the time they're worrying about length because of you have a lot less room to do stuff in a kayak so a lot of people like like a shorter butt which i know that or a shorter handle which i know fly rods that doesn't um that doesn't matter with since they really don't have any handle to it but uh do lengths of your rods matter at all when you're uh getting into um fly rods and uh, kayak it, it can um if you're in open water you know big pond ocean um you know something like that, uh -huh. the length, the length doesn't come into play as much. Um, okay. and, and it more becomes a preference in open water, if you will. And that's really, um, uh, some people just find it easier to cast a shorter rod because they don't have to lift their arm up, um, in what they call a high sticking position. So it's kind of yep. like, you, you, you know, you want to reach your hand up as high as you can so that you can keep the fly line and the tip of the rod off the water when you do your back cast. Yeah. Now, that being said, in a situation where you're fishing rivers, creeks, or you've got some overhang, um, you know, bridges, whatever, um, a little bit of a shorter rod is really going to help um, 
one with your accuracy and two with your ability to cast um, and accurate and shorter distances. Okay. Um, so if you're in a, a, a creek, a river that's got a little bit of tree limbs and things like that, that longer rod, I mean, if you've got a nine foot six rod or, or a nine foot rod, you know, and you've got your arm stuck up in the air, you're 11 feet in the air, you know, from, uh -huh. from, from your shoulder to the, to the tip of the rod. But if you're using a seven foot six rod, it becomes a little easier to manage. You don't have to lift your hand up as high in the air. Um, and it's a little bit easier to store in the kayak, uh, especially if you get into a smaller boat. Um, yeah. the, the, the downfall, just like in conventional fishing of that is that you want to make sure that that fly rod, um, tip can go all the way around the bow of your boat, right? Or the stern, uh -huh. depending on the fish, you know, if the fish runs either way. So that's something that you have to really look at. Um, unlike conventional fishing, you know, that, that rod is usually stiff most of the way up um in fly fishing it's really really flexible you know the far the closer you get to the very tip so mm -hmm. you don't want just the tip to go um you know past your bow you want about that last third so yeah. you have to, you may have to reach up and lean forward a lot more than you would in conventional fishing okay oh wow uh, yeah that kind of leads into my next question uh what gear do you guys typically bring with you and what gear do you suggest somebody that's starting out kayak vision or kayak uh, number one of course is a pfd um if they're in if they're in a kayak in my class they are wearing a pfd does not matter uh, that is that is number one two um if they're going in, uh, like I'll teach them to fly fish with usually a five weight or an eight weight rod. If they're <laughs> primarily going to be doing a lot of freshwater fishing, I'll use a five weight rod. It's really easy to learn on. It's it's lightweight. They're not going to wear themselves out uh, casting it for a couple hours of instruction. And, and it's not a big, giant, heavy thing, so they're not intimidated by it. Um, and it's usually just a typical nine foot five weight rod. Um, it's a really great rod to learn from. It allows um, allows them to get the line up off the water a little bit easier um, when you're first learning. Um, and what we'll do is we'll practice on land, and then we'll get in the boat first. So even if they have kayaking experience, we're going to practice from land first so they get the basics of kayak. Uh, excuse me, the basics of fly casting down. Mm -hmm. That was actually kind of going to be something I was going to ask. Is uh, so up here when we're, I mean, most of the time or at least most of our listeners are uh, bass anglers or panfish anglers, stuff like that, since a lot of our tournaments have been prior. Like, a lot of the people uh, listening to this fish the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail, which have a lot of bass and, like, crappie tournaments. Um, one thing I was going to ask, which I think that probably answered, is I know one of the – if for somebody up here trying to get into maybe um, fly fishing out of their kayak, I know I personally have a five-weight, nine-foot rod – with a five weight or like a complete setup of five weight, nine foot, uh, with a nine foot rod. And, uh, that's just what I prefer to fish with for any of our bass and ponds, lakes, stuff like that. And I thought it was just an overall good setup for the type of fishing I would do. Now, is that something that you would suggest would be a good starter setup or that type of weight and um, length for a good starter setup for somebody up here? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good No, I was saying for bass, it sounds like that would be the main subject up here. Yeah. Right, right. If if the main target species in, um, is going to be a bass, and it really has nothing to do with the size of fish you're going to try to target. It's more to do with the size of fly that you're throwing. Because yep. um, a five-weight, you know, a five-weight can handle a bass. That's not an issue. It's the, you know, it's the leader you put on the end, right? If it's strong enough, it'll pull in the fish. Mm -hmm. um, it's the size of flies you're going to be throwing. Um, Midwest area, I mean, your average bass, I mean, your, your big bass are probably getting, you know, if you catch an eight pound bass, you, that's a good size bass. Am I right? Oh, that's a huge bass up here. Right. Right. I mean, I, I grew up in Illinois. Um, so uh -huh. in central Illinois. So like, if I caught an eight pound bass growing up, oh, it was going on the wall. Right. I mean, that's, that's a big bass. <laughs> Um, yeah. And by all means, a five weight can handle that, uh, that kind of fish, that size of fish. Um, the issue isn't the fish you're targeting, it's the size of flies you're going to be throwing. So for a bass, it can be um, a five weight if you're throwing smaller flies, like a, um, anything up to 
Um, you know, like a clouser, a nice size popper, probably size two, something like that is good with the five weight. If you're going to get up with some bigger flies, like a size one, a size one-aught, a two-aught, things like that, you're probably going to want to bump up to a seven weight rod. And mm -hmm. the only reason for that is that rod and that line is just going to be, it's just engineered for that heavier fly. And you'll be able to throw it a little more accurately a little, with a little bit more distance. And that's, that's really where it comes into play. So a five weight, seven weight, eight weight, something. I mean, for a bass, I wouldn't go anything below a five weight um, because of the size of flies you're going to be throwing. Yeah. And it really, no matter where you're at, an eight weight for freshwater bass is going to be just fine. It doesn't matter if you're in South Florida catching Florida strain bass. Mm -hmm. um, as long as it's not a peacock, now you're talking about a whole other species. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, the, the size of flies you're going to be throwing five to eight weight. Um, a lot of guys start out with a seven weight for bass, and that's usually what they stick with. Um, okay. A five weight is always recommended because, like you said, panfish. That's a fun fish to catch on a fly rod. Uh, yes, it is. One of my favorites, and will always be one of my favorites, is is a little you know a little green sunfish. Um, them things fight so hard, and that <laughs> little do. five weight feel everything, you know. Yep, they sure do. So, um, now I know you mentioned in there about clousers and stuff like that, and that's actually what I what I have a lot of for uh, fly fishing for bass. Um, so would you say that's probably um, something like clousers is a good bait to uh, get started into fishing for bass with for fly, with flies? Yeah, something something simple. Um, and and I if I'm gonna tell somebody what they're you know to to try to get two flies to start out with bass, it would be a popper. And a clouser. Oh. Um, a popper is because you're going to get, you know, you're going to get your topwater fish. You're going to get that topwater bite. And who doesn't like a topwater bite? I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're fly fishing or not. That is the, that is the, just something about, you know, something hit a frog or a popper. Um, so get a I nice popper. I think agree. Topwater is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and, it, and then you want a clouser. Because um, sometimes, you know, depending on the weather, depending on the water, depending on the time of day and whatever it might be, a, a popper's just not going to, it's just not going to work. And yeah. While we all love to get a topwater bite every time we go out fishing, it's just something that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So a clouser, um, and for those listening that don't know what a clouser is, a clouser um, is named after Bob Clouser. Uh, it's a fly. It looks like a minnow. Um, it's usually uh, two colors, um, has a little set of eyes on it, and it sinks a little bit. So depending on how heavy a leader or how heavy the, uh, uh, the eyes are weighted depends on how, how low that, that fly falls into the water column. So you can get anywhere from about a foot to five feet down pretty easily. If you want a little mm -hmm. more than that, you've got to add a little bit heavier um, leaders to it. But it swims and looks like a minnow. Um, it's it's like, you know, it's the, the rattle trap of the fly fishing world. You know, it catches everything. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was actually going to say real quick for uh, anybody listening that still kind of uh, is wondering what it looks like. Um, for a typical bass angler, I mean, it's an awful like, or it's an awful lot like a hair jig, um, with a weight on it, with that um, feather skirt to it, or with that uh, not feather, but some type of like hair skirt to it. Um, so it's almost something like that for anybody listening that's wondering and uh, maybe wants to check it out. So if you just look up Clouser, you'll find plenty of information and pictures of what they're like. So we'll go to commercial break here, and when we get back, we gotta learn, man. You're gonna educate us, the floating feathers. <laughs> Fly fishing school, man. I got a lot of questions about fly fishing, so I kind of want you, want to pick your brain a little bit. So we'll hear a word from our sponsors, and we will, we will be right back. All right. And now a word about all the awesome companies who support the Yak Legion and Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast. Venom Lures in Lancaster, Ohio, is known for their great soft plastics and terminal tackle. They have been providing quality products from right here in Ohio since 1984. Mr. Dustin Carnes is the new owner of Venom Lures and inventor of the DK Rig. The DK Rig is a weedless version of the Ned Rig that's taking the fishing world by storm. Check them out at VenomLures.com. Strictly Sail and Kayak is located on Kenwood Road in Blue Ash, Ohio. They sell Hobie, New Canoe, Feel Free, Three Waters, and Johnny Boat kayaks. They have been providing high-quality service to fishermen and watercraft enthusiasts since 1978. 
Reach out to Brian Tacey at 513-984-1907 or check them out at strictlysaleinc.com. American Tackle, the inventors of the microwave line guide system, sells a variety of terminal tackle and fishing lures along with custom rods and accessories. You can find them at americantackle.us. Are you tired of your fish finder powering down halfway through game day? Or sick of replacing batteries year after year? No need to fear because Dakota Lithium is here. Dakota Lithium makes the best outdoor batteries hands down with many options and accessories to power your electronics while on the kayak or in the bass boat. Check them out on Facebook and at dakotalithium.com. The Arachnet Security System. Keep your valuables safe under the net as the giant black widow spider guards your gear. The Arachnet Security System is great for kayaks, tents, campers, and all that gear packed in the back of your truck. The Arachnet Security System can be found at arachnet.net. Need a logo or decal for your business or YouTube channel? Custom gear with your brand's image? Check out Real Fishing Company at realfishingco.com. Steven Davidson does great work and even made the logo for Yak Legion. The Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail. It's the largest kayak fishing trail in Ohio and holds fishing events all over the Buckeye State. Check out the website at buckeyekayakfishingtrail.com for event information and details. Come on out and fish with us. Check out the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast on Anchor.fm and all major podcast apps. It's the official Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail podcast. We talk with tournament trail winners and get the juicy details on how they won. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast and your support. You can follow Yak Legion on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at the Yak Legion Podcast. You can email us with any questions at the Yak Legion Podcast at gmail.com. We have Yak Legion decals for sale on our Facebook page. Every decal sold goes a long way to support the podcast. And don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If so, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast to, think, to say thanks for your support. And keep listening. All right, we are back with Donald Dem of Flirting Feathers Kayak Fly Fishing School. So, man, let's get educated tonight, man. I, I got a lot of questions. First of all, uh, when you say five weight, six weight, seven weight, eight weight, what does that even mean? Okay, so when we say a number and then the word or the term weight in fly fishing, what we mean is that uh, if I can try to relate it to, say, conventional fishing, um, you have your ultralight rods, your light rods, your medium rods, your heavy rods, and your super heavy rods. So if you kind of think of it like that, the smaller number, the lighter the rod it is. So a five weight is going to be kind of like a, a light, um, maybe a medium light action. A uh, seven or eight weight is going to be a medium action. A 10 weight is going to be a heavy action. And a 12 weight, you know, is going to be like a super heavy. Um, so the, the smaller the number, the lighter the rod and the lighter the action it is, if you want to relate it to conventional fishing. Um, it, like I said earlier, it really has nothing to do with the size of fish you're catching. It's more the size of the fly you're throwing with it. To a point. Now, I mean, yeah, you could probably throw a, a small tarpon fly on a five weight, but you're never going to get the tarpon in on it, right? It's just not going to happen because the size of the reel, the, the strength of the fish, right? There, there are certain stipulations. I mean, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I went trout fishing in Gatlinburg one time, and I think um, – my buddy just handed me this fly fishing setup, and I think it was a five weight, and it had some of this red worms, and I did catch one on the red worm, just floating a red worm down the the stream like the current, and mm -hmm. uh, that's the only thing. It's the only one I caught all day. Then I went over to my bobber setup, and I used salmon eggs and power bait, and I ended up catching a limit. Me and my wife did. Uh, that was our um, honeymoon, by the way. <laughs> oh, all right. Went fishing on our honeymoon, which was pretty nice. So, well, you're uh, still married, so it worked out all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 100%, man. Now I just get, I'm totally into, like, I'm kayak fishing. I'm just head over heels for fishing now. It's just, over the years, it just increased, increased, increased. <laughs> 
So uh, another question, what kind of lines are you guys using on a fly rod? Um, and I had, uh, what was it, the main line, and then you ran Tibbet, and I think Tibbet's more like a leader. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'll give you kind of an anatomy, if you will. Um, on the fly reel, you have what we call backing. And you have backing on conventional fishing as well, right? That's, their, that's your line that's usually um, a little heavier brain or a heavier fluorocarbon, uh, mono, whatever you're going to put that sits against the reel. Um, and then that is attached to a fly line. And your fly line is going to be anywhere from about 80 feet to about 120 feet. That's, that's about the shortest and the longest fly line you're going to get. The average is about 90 to 100 feet. Um, and that fly line is, is uh, usually today's fly lines um, is, is kind of like kite string, that, that type of material, except it's coated in a PVC. Um, and that, that PVC, now it's a special blend PVC, but it's, it's basically PVC. It's just, a, it's just a little bit thinner than what you would see anywhere else. It's very flexible. That PVC gives that line weight. Um, and how, that, how much PVC is on each section of the line determines how that line is either floating or sinking or what they call intermediate, which is between floating and sinking. Um, so if you, if you shoot out the end of the fly line, now you have a leader. Um, and that leader can be usually is going to be uh, mono or fluoro fluorocarbon, depending on whether you want it to float or sink. Um, Y'all know fluorocarbon sinks, mono floats. Um, so if I'm fishing a dry fly or a popper, I'm going to have mono on there. And if I'm fishing for trout, um, I will put a tippet on there. And a tippet is basically a small section of a lighter um, test mono or, or fluorocarbon or something like that. That way, if something breaks, the fly breaks off, if the fish breaks the fly, or the fish bites the line, you're not losing um, a higher dollar component like the like the leader. You're losing just a little bit of tippet, and the tippet's just cheap piece of monofilament. Um, and I don't, don't want to say cheap like it's like it's not worth anything or or not made well. It's just the least inexpensive of all of the pieces of the fly line. Now, if I'm fishing for bass or if I'm fishing for redfish or things with teeth in their mouth, like a pike or a, a muskie or something, I'm not using any tippet. It will just go straight to the leader. Uh, I'll tie my fly, my fly directly to the leader um, and go that way, um, just because the strength of it there is I don't want any give, um, and I want as much strength um, as possible on that, uh, to that fly and essentially to the fish. Oh, wow, man. So using a fly rod on a kayak, um, do you kind of teach stability and balance? Because I imagine that would be an important aspect, uh, standing and casting a fly rod on any kayak or any floating platform. Yeah, definitely, especially if you're going to be standing up um, on, a, on a little plastic boat in a moving body of water, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I mean, yeah. even in a boat, right? A boat could come by and create a wake, or the wind's blowing you. So, yeah, we teach we teach um, how to keep your balance in a kayak. Um, and and contrary to popular belief, it's not really in your legs. It's not it's not you know pushing your legs down into the kayak. It's really from comes from your core. And no, you don't have to be a bodybuilder with a you know a six pack. That's not the kind of you know. <laughs> You don't have to be a physically fit, you know, high endurance runner to have a, a you know, a super, fire, super fine core to have good balance. It just means you have to understand to tighten your core to keep your balance. And you lose, you, you use your legs kind of like box absorbers. So when the waves move your kayak back and forth, if you stiffen your legs to catch yourself and the, the kayak rocks one way or the other and you have your legs locked, you're just going to go over and get wet, right? So it's, it's not your legs that keep your balance. It's that core. Um, and then even when you're sitting down and standing up, to keep your balance, you tighten that core when you, when you sit down in the seat and you tighten the core when you come up. And that's really just putting your weight uh, distributed where it needs to be, and that's right in the middle of the kayak, right? If you try to lean to one side when you stand up, 
course, all your weight goes to that side and the kayak goes to that side. You try to lean to the other side and the kayak reacts there and then, you know, your butt's wet, right? <laughs> See, that's some good information there because I'm top heavy. I got a belly on me. And so <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy um, standing on kayaks, but it's something I'm definitely going to practice this year. And I kind of wanted a good piece of advice for that. So it's definitely all in the core there. That's pretty interesting. Yep, try it. Try it with the least amount of stuff in your kayak first. You don't, you know, you nobody wants to lose a rod in the reel, right? <laughs> so yeah. Um, and um, I've I've written a couple articles and stuff um, on on exactly that, how to help keep your balance, how to how to practice keeping your balance, and you can do it in your house. Um, if you ever want to try to do it, you can practice your casting in the house, you know, without a rod and reel. You can just close close your eyes and stand on one foot, right? Just pick one foot up in the air. You will have to learn how to tighten your core to keep your balance. Because everything in you, when your eyes are shut, your equilibrium is going to be off. So now you have to use that, you know, you have to tighten that core and force yourself to use that rather than tightening your leg. Because if you tighten your leg and you're standing up on one leg, you're going to fall over no matter how much balance you naturally have. Wow, man, you are a good teacher. <laughs> well, it, it, it helps that my, my job that pays the bills, um, I, I actually write training for, the, um, for well, without getting too much into it, I, I write training for different situations to teach soldiers and stuff how to use equipment. So that's kind of what I do in my, my job that pays the bills. So I have a natural, lack, natural talent to just go, hey, let me go out in the kayak and see what not to do. And not necessarily that I didn't know what to do, but more what not to do, right? Because when you know what to do, it's sometimes you forget how to tell people not to do something, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. We, get, we get so involved in, in just the everyday things like paddling that sometimes we forget that people don't know how to paddle. They just get in the kayak, you know, that they bought a kayak online, they bought one from a friend, nobody, there's, nobody was there to show them how to paddle it. They just assume that they know how to paddle. And it's not something that's really intuitive, right? I mean, yeah, we can. We, everybody gets in it and starts rolling with their arms, but it's not just your arms to get you anywhere. You try that, your shoulders and your arms are going to be really tired. Uh, and it doesn't have to be an upper body workout. You know, it's a full body workout, if you will. Oh, wow. Now, you mentioned you uh, wrote an article. Uh, do you write to any magazines? Um, last. Uh, let's see, was it uh, last quarter, the Kayak Fishing um, Quarter magazine from Chris Payne put out. Oh, nice. uh, there's, an there's an article in there that I wrote um, on how to keep your balance and how to stand up in a kayak. Um, and I've, I've wrote things for some, for some fly fishing specific groups um, and uh, organizations that I belong to. Um, and I have an article submitted for the spring edition of the Kayak Fishing Quarterly Magazine, and uh, I, I don't know if it's been accepted yet because there's, there's, they still haven't hit that mark where they're, all right, this is the end day. I think there's about eight days left uh, for submission of articles, but I will let you know if that one gets published. Yeah, definitely, man. I'd be interested to read it, and I'll definitely try to find your other article. Maybe you can send me a link to it. I'll check it out. Yes, sir. Will do. So, um, well, it seems like you know quite a bit about fly fishing and kayaking. Uh, how about some of your own stories? Uh, what kind of fish do you like to fish for personally? My favorite fish, uh, I said earlier that, you know, it's, uh, it, it's panfish. Uh, I know everybody wants to go catch a tarpon, you know. I mean, that would be great. I haven't caught a tarpon yet, you know. And I love redfish and trout and uh, you know, speckled trout or rainbow trout, you know, freshwater, saltwater. But to be honest, the most fun I've ever had is even from being a kid, you know, and I'm 45 years old now, um, favorite fish is sunfish, you know, brim, uh, bluegill, um, whatever, whatever region you're from, you know, the little panfish, right? Um, the lonely little, I'm big, but I love to have fun. And I, I think I'm 10 times the size of what I am fish. Green yeah, you sun. mentioned them green sunfish earlier, and I know yeah. man, them, those suckers will fight like a bass. I I know people want to say like you know all these fish have the most power pound for pound for pound, but 
If you hook up into a little green sunfish with a three weight or a four weight or a five weight rod, or you know even an ultralight if you're if you're conventional fishing, you know oh my gosh, those little green sunfish they're just mad. Like they're not, they're just aggressive. They're mean. They're not happy about nothing, and they will fight you forever if you let them. That to me is the best fishing. That. That fish, those green sunfish, are a blast, and they're beautiful. You know, it's a pretty fish. They're definitely photogenic. You know what I see that's popular up here? In uh, I see in the Little Miami River and the Great Miami River. I see fly fishermen targeting carp. And um, I was going downriver on the kayak one day. I saw a carp fisherman on the bank, and he was fly fishing for carp, man. And he was just fighting this fish to the tooth. I mean, this was an epic battle unfolding in front of me, and I even stopped fishing. I was just floating down. I slowed down and watched the whole thing because it was interesting, the way he was um, throwing his line back and um, fighting with this giant carp down there on the river, man. Uh, you ever try that, and what do you typically throw for a carp? I have tried to catch carp. Um, every time I go carp fishing, I catch catfish. <laughs> uh, still a fun fish you know and it's a great time but uh, for some reason when I go carp fishing with carp flies catfish eat them um, now I've I've been with people that caught the carp um, and like they are some and I've caught carp on conventional gear but uh, they are some strong fish uh, hard headed they only stop fighting when they decide to stop fighting you're not going to you're not going to break those fish in, you know, just because you're stronger. No, no, you're going to give, you're going to bring that fish in because he decided that he will let you bring him in. <laughs> but that's actually what I was going to ask too, because uh, actually one of the reservoirs about 15 minutes from my house, um, in the back of it, it gets pretty shallow. It gets, I mean, it goes up to one and a half foot when it's at summer pool, and then it actually sometimes floods over into a little uh, like one six inch to one foot section that a bunch of carp just go straight back there and just sit back there and uh, me and my buddy actually try to go out there and fly fish for carp out at the reservoir or at our local reservoir and i was actually going to see what uh type of flies for something like that you would recommend uh carp flies are going to be uh, they're going to have to have a special hook for them because the carp you know they're so strong so it's going to be a small yeah. hook but it's going to be a really really heavy wire with okay. uh, kind of a larger gap on it. Uh -huh. um, so something like, you know, I mean, you're not going to catch that thing on a regular bass hook. One, the bass hook is too big, right? You're not going to use yeah. a, an EWG on it, right? It's just not going to work. It's just yeah. too big a hook. Um, so you want something small. So you're looking at probably, you know, size two or smaller. Um, it's just going to be a super heavy wire. Um, it's got to be a really, really thick, you know, gauge on it so that it doesn't straighten out because those carp are so strong. Yeah. Um, and depending on the species of carp you're going to, you're going to be targeting, you know, a grass carp, a buffalo carp, things like that. The flies are going to look pretty similar. It's going to look, you know, just something like a carp would eat, you know, like a little, uh, a little bug or a little, you know, a little chunk of, of grass or maybe even like a crawd, crawdad ish looking, but not quite a crawdad. <laughs> um, just that kind of look to it, right? Because carp don't eat, you know, they don't eat bait fish or anything, right? They eat, yeah. they eat stuff that nobody else eats, right? So you want to make it look like that. And usually it's a fly that's going to be really heavy, sit on the bottom, and you just barely move that uh, just okay. a little bit. Now, sometimes they will hit on top. Um, and there are flies that imitate, you know, corn, um, mulberries, you know, things like that, so that the, the, what those carp do happen to eat. Um, okay. And, and they'll float because the carp will come up and grab it, you know, and, and well, and it's not a, it's not a topwater bite like a bass by any means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, carp, a carp hitting on topwater is no more exciting than any, you know, than, than it hitting on the bottom. And you, you probably barely notice it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've caught a lot of carp on um, just bait runner, rods and reel setups, and then uh, just corn on a hair rig. It may they, they put up a hell of a fight, and I can only imagine that on a fly rod. It'd definitely be epic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't recommend that as your first fish on a fly rod. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's really going to test your ability to understand what your left hand is doing versus your right hand. 
um, how to strip line, how to let it go back out your finger. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on when you're fighting a big fish versus fighting a smaller fish. And, and I don't mean a tiny fish. I just mean you know, a bass or a bram or, you know, something like that. Uh, you're really going to want some practice before you pick up on a fish that's going to take, you know, 12, 15, 30 runs away from you, you know? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing, man. So let's get into some fishing stories. Uh, do you have a, maybe one fishing story that you'd like to share tonight with us? Yeah. Um, now, this was before I started fly fishing. This was when I was probably 12, 13 years old. But um, oh, wow. one, of the fish, one of the fishing things that has stuck with me um, for years and years, uh, I was fishing with my dad um, on a local pond back home in Illinois, and uh, I caught a little black cricket hopping around me on the bank, you know, uh, and I went to put it, I wanted to put it on the hook and my dad, you know, dad, he ain't going to catch nothing on that stupid cricket, you know, so <laughs> I, I convinced him to let me put the cricket on a bobber, you know, and I threw it out there and it was probably you know, 20, 30 minutes later, my bobber goes under and I set the hook. I think it's a brim, you know, some type of sunfish and I can't stop it. <laughs> Drag starts screaming, you know, the dad screaming, what's going on? I, I don't know. You know, and it, for, you know, 12, 13-year-old kid, it seemed like, you know, 45 minutes. It was probably 10 minutes tops, you know, but it, it just seemed like a lot longer when you're a kid, you know, to try to get this fish in. Um, I get the fish in, and it's about three, three, four feet from the bank, and um, I see a bass, you know, and it's not a huge bass. It's maybe two and a half pounds. It's not even big, you know, and it shouldn't have done you know, shouldn't have done all that drag. It shouldn't have fought that much for what little fish it was. So my dad reaches down to grab it, and four other fish flop at the same time. And he missed the fish and got got a hold of something else. Um, and he pulls his hand up, and I caught the fish I caught was on one of those um, chain type uh, stringers. You know, you put, you know, the old, the old style, we put the chain through the, through the gills and everything. And then yeah. I, I caught one fish on my cricket and there was four other fish on the stringer. And I will never forget, my dad just looked at me, threw the fish at me and walked up to the truck. <laughs> I can't fish with you no more. <laughs> How could you uh, be kid just reeled in four bass at once? Five. There was five bass on that string. I caught I caught one and I had four other ones. I mean, I, the biggest one was probably maybe three pounds. You know, I mean, they, none of them was big. You know, I think it just it probably got off some guy's John boat or something like that. You know, but uh, who knows how long they've been in there? The the stringer it wasn't wasn't new by any means. It was all green and slimy. You know, had been in the water for a long time, but. I don't think those fish cared. They was all traveling around in one school, <laughs> eating whatever they could. I guess. That's crazy. I thought you were going to say that you were going to pull up. You pulled up a snapping turtle because I pulled up a stringer before. I've had a, like a string, like a rope stringer off the side of a bank, bank fishing, and uh, I noticed it was something was pulling real hard on it. You know, there was bluegill on it. I'm like, man, blue the bluegill shouldn't be pulling that hard. So <laughs> I stuck her up, but rope up, and there's a snapping turtle. Uh, bent oh down God. on one of them bluegills, and I started pulling him up. And when he came up out of the water, he let go and he dropped back down into the water. And, uh, <laughs> like two or three of my bluegill were missing. And at the same lake, <laughs> at the same lake, at another spot we were camping, I had a stringer full of fish, and I left them for an, like an uh, maybe like a half hour to an hour. And we uh, did some cooking or did something at the camping site. I came back; they were all gone, all eaten off there from snapping turtles. Oh my gosh! They just knew. Wow. There's a lot of <laughs> turtles. Smart turtles, lake. man. They just waited for the smorgasbord. <laughs> yeah. All my listeners uh, uh, might know the lake, uh, Stone Lick Lake. <laughs> it's yep. notorious for snapping turtles, cleaning your stringers. That's for <laughs> oh sure. wow! So, um, how can people join your school and contact you um, for some lessons? And uh, how far a- do you go? Uh, it, it kind of depends. Um, so when I was in North Alabama, I went as far as, uh, Southern Illinois, um, Kentucky, Virginia, Florida, um, Mississippi, Louisiana, states like that. Um, 
Now, I'm in South Alabama. It really hasn't changed that much. Um, so if if there's you know if you if you've got a group of kayakers or a group and they got a tournament or something going on and you wanna you wanna see if anybody wants has any interest in it, um, you can shoot me an email um, at kayakflyfishingschool at gmail.com. Um, and I can get that. Um, you can check our website at, you know, kayakflyfishingschool.com. Um, and I have a phone number, um, and that is 256 258 9233. That's 256 258 9233. And you can call me um, if, if you're in a, a spot that, you know, you want to come on vacation, you're headed to the beach, you're headed to, uh, to, to Nashville, something like that, you want to you get together and learn how to fly fish or something, um, just give me a holler. I'm, I'm all up for traveling. Um, I would prefer it to be within, you know, a day's travel for me, so I can, I can leave here on a Friday, you know, in the morning sometime, uh, teach on Saturday, and head back on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, understandable, man. That's impressive that you travel that far to do this school. Uh, when I first checked you out, I thought maybe you had one central base of operation that you did the school at, but it seems like you travel pretty far to educate people. I will try. I, I will do my best to try to help people that are that are really wanting to learn how to fly fish and kayak. Um, if I can share that passion with them, if I've got to drive five, six, seven, eight hours to do that, um, and that's the only way that they can do it, let's do it. You know, I mean, it's it, somebody took time out of out of, the, out of their day to teach me how to fly fish and uh, uh, help me get into kayaking. So I'm just trying to pass it along. You know, if I can, you know. Wow, definitely. Everybody check out Floating Feathers Kayak Fly Fishing School. Um, Donald Dem, he'll, he'll hook you guys up. He'll educate you. He'll even come out to your house if you live a certain distance and uh, or, your, you know, whatever body water of your choice, and, and he'll educate you. Um, do you have any shout-outs you want to give before we end this, man? you have any partnerships with companies or pro staffs or – well, I, I I don't have a pro staff. I have a partnership, sort of, <laughs> um, with with Crescent Kayaks, and it's more just my passion for those boats. So James um, Durbecker at Crescent Kayaks, thanks for the boats, man. They are wonderful. Um, I will be back in touch with you soon to hopefully buy some more before the end of this year. Um, and uh, TFO Rods, Temple Fork Outfitter Rods, um, great rods. Uh, power to the angler, as they say, uh, fantastic rods, and that's the rods that we use in school. Um, so I will give a shout out to them, and uh, I I think that's it, Zach. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Donald. Man, it was definitely educational. You're definitely a good teacher, and um, hopefully we garner you some business, man. People can get excited about fly fishing and fly fishing off a kayak and. Uh, definitely be awesome man i'm glad you came on and i appreciate it and for everybody listening stay tuned for the next segment thank you for and now it's time for yak legions public water spotlight of the week here's a very new segment i'm going to try where we are going to discuss new public uh, bodies of water um, every week, I'm going to highlight either a river, a lake, a pond, a wildlife area. Uh, start local. We'll expand to some waters that I fish and some local waters. So this week, I've select, selected Cowan Lake. Cowan's pretty interesting lake. Uh, it's in southwestern Ohio. It's right outside of Wilmington. The, um, the park is 1,775 acres. With the lake being 700 acres with a 10 horsepower limit, um, there's three public boat ramps. There's the South Shore Marina Marina down there on the south end, and they sell a variety of fishing and picnic stuff. They rent boats, canoes. Uh, the campground also rents out um, boats, canoes, and kayaks. So it's a pretty interesting area. <coughs> Excuse me. This region was once a stronghold of the Miami and Shawnee Native Americans. After the Battle of Fallen Timbers, the threat of Native American attacks subsided and settlement began in 1797. The first settlers in the area, William Smalley, began cleaning, uh, clearing out land for his home along the river, 
which was later determined, uh, which was later dammed to form Cowan Lake. So Cowan Creek was named for the area's first surveyor, John Cowan. Uh, the dam was completed across Cowan Creek in 1950, and in 1968, Cowan Lake was dedicated as a state park. So a very interesting lake. Um, there's a variety of fish species in that lake. It's real popular for largemouth bass, uh, bluegill, white crappie, sawgai. Uh, they're stocked annually for sawgai. Channel catfish, muskie, bullhead, carp. Um, there's many gizzard shad, many other forage fish species in the lake. I'd say the mainly sought-after fish species are the largemouth there and the sawgays. Um, a lot of times you can catch the sawgays right off the points at Cowan Lake. I know I've uh, trolled across the points and ran into ran into schools of sawgay, and you'll find schools of largemouth and schools of sawgay down there along the points at Cowan Lake. And um, I've caught a few on the North Shore. Uh, that's a good spot for the largemouth. Uh, muskies, the island in the middle, I've heard people call it Muskie Island. I've heard people call it a few decent muskies off the island down there. So Cowan's a beautiful lake. It's got a nice campground. Um, I've had several tournaments there, actually quite a few tournaments. Seems like, seems like they're always at Cowan Lake. But uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful lake. They have a nice campground with clean facilities. Um, they have restroom facilities. They have... You know, jungle gyms, um, you know, playgrounds for children. It's a fun family place to take your family. They have a, a, a Facebook page and a website, and they have all kinds of events and activi activities that go on year-round there. So uh, definitely check it out. Um, I know next week I'm wanting to go more into another lake uh, that has a little bit more history than Cowan. Um I know I was going to talk about East Fork Lake next week, and there's actually quite a bit of history on that lake, and there, um, there's a lot of folklore about it, too. So it's a very big lake. It's a very interesting lake. It's got a lot of history, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. I've already done a lot of my research on it. But uh, this week, I, I wanted to start off with Cowan because we talked about Cowan quite a bit on the, the podcast, and uh, it's such a fun lake. It's so family-friendly. Uh, 10 horsepowers um, is really great. You don't have a lot of people flying around. Uh, it is popular with sailboats. Uh, there is a sail club that operates out of Cowan Lake. And so um, during the summer, it can get kind of crowded with sailboats, but you just got to give each other space. And I know they do sailboat races up there. And um, they have a public beach on the south end of the lake. Then they have the campground beach on the north end of the lake. And uh, right up right up that cove right there where the campground beach is that's where you can find the water lilies and the lotus flowers um, there's just fields and fields and fields of lily pads and uh, you'll see those beautiful lotus flowers uh, they'll start popping up and really bloom in the end of July and August I do believe that's when the time frame is and uh, man they look really nice in the summertime going back here and getting some pictures of them and of course, the bass like to lay under them lily pads under a hot day, so it's a good area to go back there and throw some soft plastics. May throw a frog. Frogs do pretty good. Um, it's a great lake. There's some big catfish in there. Uh, I've seen some pictures of people catching some big bass, a big catfish, a few decent-sized muskies, um, no big giants. There's a few nice bass-sized muskies in there, but you want to go for muskies, I heard Caesars Creek's place to go around here for some giant ones. But um, Cowan's definitely ha has a population of muskie in it and some decent sized ones to what I've seen. Nearby attractions, uh, you got Stone Lick Lake State Park. We'll talk about that in another episode. Uh, Caesars Creek is not far from there. Um, Little Miami uh, State Park, Caesars Creek Gorge, Caesars Creek Gorge, I'm sorry. Um, there's all kinds of stuff to do. Pretty fun area. I know there's a few uh, flea markets. I know Caesars Creek Flea Market and Treasure Isles. I don't think it's too far from there. So you want to take the family out there. And Cabins are nice. They have cabins. Um, they have tent. They have 237 electric sites, 17 non-electric sites, uh, four or five uh, four sites are ADA accessible. Uh, pets are permitted on all sites. Shower houses, flush toilets, laundry facilities, dump station. 
they got the campers beach boat launch and a basketball court and they got the camp store there offering any items that you might have forgotten I think it's quite a few of us have been on a camping trip and we forgot something. Definitely needed to go back and get something from the, the camping store. <laughs> but like I said before, Cowan Lake's an awesome lake to camp at. It's an awesome lake to fish. Um, it's a very beautiful lake. And that is Yak Legion's public waters highlight of the week. Next week will be East Fork Lake. Thank you all for listening to the Yak Legion podcast. Hope you all have a good evening, a good afternoon, or good morning.